Let me say thank you for kind invitation <clears throat> to come back tonight. Um, um, it's a continuation of what we were on last week, and um, you'll recall that we were talking about the surrendered life, uh, which is extremely important if we want to know the real blessing of God in our lives. But before we get to that, um, I just want to say again how important it is not to hear me, but to hear the voice of God speaking. Um, incidentally, Sandy was speaking this morning, or God was speaking through him. And you will discover, or you will hear, that as I go through the message tonight, some of the things that I say were exactly what Sandy was saying this morning. And there was a, almost a temptation within me to change. And the Lord said no. And so, when there is, a, when there is God, God's working in the midst of us, when God speaks, you have to listen to His voice. And, and, and I've been saying to people, listen to what God is saying. And when God spoke to me this morning, I was going, will the Lord or will I not do it? <laughs> so, tonight I want to bring the word of God to you. Um, and I hope that you'll be blessed. I hope that God will be honoured in everything that's said tonight. And uh, that your life will be changed. That's what we've been saying, isn't it? This is the servant king that we serve. Uh, he became a servant as an example to us so that we might learn to serve also. The one who was king of kings and lord of lords. Let's just bow for a moment's prayer. <clears throat> Father, we come to you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I recognize that I'm the weakest of your servants. And I need your strength and your help as we open up the Word of God, the greatest book that was ever written about the most wonderful person that, was ever, that ever lived. And he's brought us into a living relationship with himself. And so we pray, Lord, for the spread of your Word. We thank you for what's going to happen on Friday evening. And we ask, Lord, for an outpouring of your Spirit. Not just in that meeting, but in this church also, Lord. That the Spirit will demonstrate himself in a mighty way. And a great blessing will come as the windows of heaven are opened. And that blessing is poured forth. No, Lord, we long for our land to be set on fire. We've been singing about that today also. Once more, O oh Lord, once more, as in the days of yore, on this dear land thy spirit pour. Set Scotland, set Moody'sburn, now on fire. Father, bring people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Trouble hearts, Lord. Disturb consciences. And don't let people ignore the voice of God. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I quoted a, a verse, for those of you who weren't here last week, um, I quoted a verse from Hebrews chapter 25, and I do it when I'm at a meeting preaching the word of God, and I think it's important. And this is a verse that was written to the church, written to believers. And uh, the writer, whether you believe it was Paul or Luke that wrote the Hebrews or someone else, it's not really terribly important. This much we do know, the Spirit of God was in it. And that's really important. See to it, Hebrews 12 and 25, that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven and Sandy reminded us this morning in the passage that he read about um, the impact of ignoring the voice of God what that had on the children of Israel their forefathers they were killed, they were destroyed and those that were crossing that Jordan those that were crossing into the promised land were a different generation and God was saying to them what I said to your forefathers I want you to listen to and God is saying the same to us tonight. And it seems strange that, that we're on the same wavelength, Sandy, as far as the word of God goes today anyway. 
Well, let me just recap briefly on last week. Um, we made three points last week. We spoke that be, about being a bond servant. It means lordship. You have to know Jesus Christ, not just as Saviour, but as Lord. And that means yielding to him every part of your life. Whether it be your work life, whether it be your social life, whether it be your Christian life, your church life. God wants you to yield every single part of your life to him. That's what making him Lord is all about. Therefore, being a Christian is a very high calling in Jesus Christ. When we're giving ourselves over to someone else, wow, that's really, really important, isn't it? An important decision. Do you remember, those of us who are married, when you gave yourself to your husband or your wife? And you had great thoughts about that before you did it. Before you made that commitment of marriage for life, you had great thoughts about that. It was really important. You needed to know that that love for your partner was absolutely essential and full. And that God was guiding your hearts and bringing you together. And that that marriage was for life. And so it is when we serve the living God. Some of us, and I'll touch on this later on, grow cold in our hearts and our love grows cold. And Jesus said to one of the churches, Laodicea, in Revelation, didn't he? And I'm digressing a wee bit. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. I could spew you out of my mouth. He was so sick up, fed up to the back teeth with them. And so we have to be careful that this love... This red-hot boiling love that we had for the Lord Jesus Christ, that moment that we trusted him, that it never wanes. Keep the coals, the fire and the coals burning so that God can get the best out of you as you serve him. Being a bond servant means lordship. We spoke also about trials and we said suffering for the sake of the gospel and personal suffering and looked at what James had to say and the difficulty this presents to those of us who suffer. The word of God tells us that we will suffer. Paul suffered, we spoke about that, didn't we? He had a thorn in the flesh. He said Satan had been sent to buffet him. And after seeking the Lord three times, the Lord said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. And it seems strange because it's almost ridiculous to consider this when James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Who amongst us enjoys trials? It would be great if we had a, 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 a life that was just plain sailing and everything went smooth. Hey? I remember um, I was on a boat um, in the North Sea. I was, uh, had friends up there who had a fishing vessel. And they said, Robert, would you like to come out for a trip on the fishing vessel? I said, I would love to do that. And I uh, got on board. I tell you, it wasn't long on board until I was hanging over the side. The storms, the ship was getting tossed to and fro. But these guys that were on this ship... It didn't bother them. One little bit. Why? Because they had got used to it. They had become aware of sickness. And their body adjusted accordingly. And I want to say to you, our spiritual lives need to adjust accordingly as we pass through the storms of life. Our faith in God needs to increase. Our love for Him needs to increase. The Word of God says... That I might decrease so that he might increase. And so we want to see the increase of God in our lives in spite of the trials. I said the surrendered life is a life which trusts without wavering in the sovereign, sovereign haunt, the hand of our Lord and Master whom we've been called to serve. Realizing that God's timing is always right for every event in our life. Even suffering. I think I gave you some examples of when I ended up in hospital and I was asking God why I had gone to hospital. Why, Lord, have you allowed me to pass this way? And on two occasions I was in hospital, I had the joy of seeing two people come to saving faith in Christ. God directed me to them. And that's really wonderful. So keep asking yourself, if you're passing through a trial, Lord... Can you give me the strength and the grace to pass through this trial? But show me what's in it. Why are you doing it? 
What do you want me to do in this trial for you? How do you want me to serve you? That's quite a challenge, isn't it? Well, okay, the third thing that we looked at was endurance. And there are three verses in the passage that we read which speak of endurance. We're just going to read the passage in a moment. And and thirdly, in part one, we concluded that surrendered life is one of persevering and enduring under trial, like Job, knowing that when we're approved of God, he will give us the crown of life. This is not the end. There's a day coming, of course, when the end will come. Revelation reminds us of that. Everything will pass away. The heavens and the earth will pass away with a fervent heat. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. The former things will have passed away. And that's a day I'm looking forward to. What about you? Are you looking forward to that day? What a day that's going to be. Eh? Okay, so tonight I want to look at another three things in our passage. And they're up there. Lacking nothing. Did Sandy speak about that this morning? And I was asking him before I went away, were you reading my notes, Sandy? I believe that God intended this to be. Uh, We're going to look at the prayer life also, the importance of prayer life. A prayer life in a surrendered life. And of course, faith in action, how faith impacts the surrendered life. So let's just read these verses in James. James, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. The first 12 verses. Um, a bond servant of God and of Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Considering it, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let us ask of God, who gives to all generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect anything, he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and the wither and the flower falls off it. And his beauty, the beauty of his appearance is destroyed. So too is the rich man in the midst of his pursuits. Will fade away. But listen to this. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. May God bless his word. What does it mean to lack nothing? To be lacking in nothing. James 1 and 4. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. I think to understand this phrase lacking in nothing, we need to look at what comes before it. And this is to do with what endurance produces in us as we live the surrendered life. The trials which we experience must produce in us perfection in every Christian grace. When this is evident in our life, we are lacking in nothing. Now let me give you an example. Someone asked me during the week to do something. (coughs) And so a few days later, I did it. Fulfilled by obligation. And I said to that person, by the way, I've done such and such. Well, I'm not very happy with you. I said, why? You took too long in doing it. (laughs) And I had to have patience and say, well, I'll just need to ask the Lord to forgive me for that. And hope that the next time you ask me to do something, I'll be able to do it a wee bit quicker. (laughs) And you know, we get tested in simple things. And God tests us in these things so that he will build us up and prepare us for the bigger trials in life. He won't take us into big difficult trials 
until he's proved us in the small trials, the temptations. I remember, I was at work. One of the difficulties that we have in our lives as Christians is that the devil will try to distract us by wanting us to do things that the word of God says that we ought not to do. Do you, does that ever come your way? I was at a meeting one day, and of course, uh, the meeting was finished. The management were getting ready to leave, and this manager decided that he wanted to tell a story. And of course, immediately I sensed it was a filthy story, and I said, Excuse me, I hope you'll excuse me, but I need to go. And I left. Now he knew I was a Christian. And later on that day, he called me up. He said, I want you to come, come to my office. And I went away up to the office. So what can I do for you? He says, you embarrassed me by getting out of that meeting before I told the story. <coughs> I said, well, I'm surprised that you as a church elder would tell a dirty story like that. You see, I was protecting myself from listening to these kind of things. And we have to try and protect ourselves. The television's full of it. Full of it. And it's in our home 24 hours a day. And we need to learn how to just go like that and turn it off. Why? Because it contaminates our souls. It contaminates our spiritual life. Satan uses it as a, as a block against God coming into us in the fullness of his spirit. And we have to be very consciously aware of those things. Let's examine what the Bible says about the graces that ought to follow the enduring of trials as a believer in Jesus Christ. Trials should produce joy in the believer. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. James 1 and 2. 1 Peter 4 and 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing. As though some strange things were happening to you. Do you ever think that? Lord, why are these strange things happening to me? You know, why, why, why has this happened to the church? Why is this happening to my family? Lord, why am I going through this difficulty in my job? Lord, why am I having difficulty socialising with these friends? They don't like me because I'm a Christian. Don't be surprised when these things happen to you. The Word of God says, they will happen. And you know what James says? Endure them with joy. <laughs> and when you get the joy of the Lord in your heart, and you realize that all of these things that are happening to you are of the Lord and He's behind it and there is a purpose in it, the joy of the Lord will overwhelm you. What does the Bible tell us? To be filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So, trials produce joy in the believer. Trials also produce patient endurance in the believer. Let patience or endurance have its perfect result. In James 1 and 4 he says this. And you know, if we're going to pass through a trial, it is difficult. There is a learning in it for all of us. We won't be successful in passing every trial in a fantastic way. Why? Because there is a learning in it for us. But when we come to the word of God and we open it up and we read it and we begin to learn what God is saying to us in his word about trials and it not only comes in to our ears but it becomes embedded in our hearts and in our minds. What does the psalmist say? Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against you. When we get the word of God and we take it into our hearts and our lives we become changed. And so when the trials come our way, what happens? We say, hold on a minute, what did the Lord say about that? <laughs> when you begin to understand that God is behind everything that happens, either by his decisive will or by his permissive will, you will begin to realize the blessing and the joy of God welling up within you because he will guide you and direct you through the trial. And provide you with all the sustenance and grace that you need to endure and to come through that trial triumphantly. Hallelujah. What a wonderful God we have. Trials produce humility. Did Sandy speak about that this morning? It did indeed. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 12 and 7. Paul says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God... 
So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me, to buffet me and to keep me from becoming proud. Have you ever considered that if you're passing through a trial, maybe just the Lord saying, allowing you to pass through this trial so that you, you won't become proud? Maybe he just wants you to humble yourself. What does the Bible say? Humble yourself in the, under the mighty hand of God and in due season he will exalt you. If there is any exaltation in your life, in your Christian experience, let it come from the Lord. Don't get all puffed up and think, oh, I'm a fantastic person. And I've done this. Sandy put his finger upon it this morning when he gave his illustration. I did this, I did that, I did the next thing. That's not a humble person. That's someone who wants to present themselves as being something. And the truth is, we are nothing. We are nothing. Without God, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we're absolutely nothing. And lastly, trials produce Christ-likeness. Romans 8 and 29. For those whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to become conformed to what? The image of his Son. I think this is fantastic, by the way. When I read my Bible, I discover time after time after time that God wants me to become more like Christ every day. Isn't that great? When you look at the kind of person Jesus was, and we'll touch on that later on, um, isn't it wonderful that, that God wants you to be Christ-like? He doesn't want you to be puffed up, self-exalted. He wants to exalt you. He wants to do everything in you. He wants to lift you out of the miry clay and set your feet in the solid rock. He wants to take you out into the community and share that word with people. Whether it be your neighbour or somebody at a bus stop or somebody in a shop. Or just hand somebody a tract. God wants to do these things through you. And he wants to teach you humility in these things. I've been battered and bruised over the years because I wasn't humble enough. And God took me down, so far down. He allowed me to turn my back on him at one point. And I couldn't understand it. I just couldn't understand it. I had lost three friends that were very close to me. And I had been praying to God for them. None of them, as far as I know, were saved. Three colleagues. And they went one after another. They died. One was killed. One I found in a switch room at work. Another one I found in a plant room at work. And I'll tell you, it had a devastating effect on me. And I turned and I said, God, I can't take this anymore. Where are you in the midst of this? And I went to, I was secretary to a, a, a mission at the time. I went to see the chairman. The chairman said to me, and we were talking just before we get into the conversation. His wife came through. And he said, he said uh, she said to, to um, her husband, she said, I need to pray with Robert. And I looked at her. I said, all right. Because I wanted to tell him that I was leaving everything. And she said, God has spoken to me in the kitchen about Robert. And the devil is using circumstances in his life to drive a wedge between him and the Lord. And the Lord wants you to come back to him. And he wants you to come back now. I tell you the spirit of God fell on me that morning and broke me broke me and she laid hands on me and prayed with me I never forgot it do you know what God was doing he was teaching me humility the first I had wept in long enough and I wept and wept and wept God filled me with his spirit to begin to magnify him again I want to say to you dear friend when you're going through a trial, God will bring you through that trial. He will not suffer you to be tested beyond that you are able to bear. And we'll touch on this also. But in due time, he will provide for you a way of escape. Am I glad he provided for me a way of escape? I call that woman my angel. <laughs> Her name is Anne Carroll from Hart Hill. And a uh, lovely lady, lovely woman of God. 
And just at that moment in time, God provided her the ability, the wisdom, the knowledge just to touch my life and to see me come back to the Lord. Oh, it was wonderful. Okay. I find it interesting that immediately after verse 4 there is a statement in verse 5 which gives us a clue as to how we should deal with the trials and difficulties which come our way. And the effective way for the Christian to deal uh, and manage them. Let's look at verse 5. James 1 and 5 says this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let us ask of God, who gives to all generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. How often during your trials and difficulties... Do you ask God for wisdom? Hmm. That's interesting. Do you know how often I ask him? I used to ask him, never. Now, I ask him regularly when I'm passing through something. When I experience something. Lord, give me grace. What wisdom do you want to give me in this circumstance, this trial? So that I can walk with you as I go through this trial. Do you know what he does? He gives me that wisdom. And he gives me that grace. The goal of the Christian is to become more like Christ every day. Even when Paul had great difficulty with the Galatian church. He wrote to them saying, My children, with whom I am again in labour until Christ is formed in you. Can I ask you, is Christ being formed in you? Mm, Every moment of every day. I said last week, use the word of God as a mirror of your soul. When you come to it, ask yourself, Lord, are you being formed in me? Do I become more like you every moment of every day? Am I growing with you in my service? What a challenge that is for us. Well, he said, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, And this is what Sandy said this morning, and it's built into my notes here. Working with Christians can be hard work. I think God's speaking to us. He really is. And this is because of the constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. I remember many years ago um, uh, visiting a a dear friend. He was a pastor of our church at one point. He's now at home with the Lord, Willie McLaughlin. And I said to Willie, Willie, I'm in a terrible battle. He said, what's wrong? I said, I feel as if I'm having to check myself every moment of every day about things. Getting my mind sorted out. Aye. What's wrong, Robbie? (laughs) I said, I'm struggling with it. Good, he says. I said, what? Good. I said, what do you mean? Good, why? He said, if there was no battle going on within you, he says, I would be worried. I never forgot that. If there was no battle going on within you, he says, I would be worried. As we develop all the graces we need to endure the trials that come to our door, ask God to give you wisdom. His desire is to make us more Christ-like so that our lives will be a witness to the world. Not only in our witness of God's saving grace, but also in the witness of God's sanctifying power. Did Sandy say that this morning? Yes, he did. He spoke about the sanctifying power of God, that big word. It means growing in Jesus Christ. And of course the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Do you know what I love as being a Christian? My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within me. doesn't matter where I go or what I'm doing. The Spirit of God is at work in me. Bringing the Word of God to life. That Word that I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against Him. It's there, it's working within me. By the power of the Spirit, He brings it to life. And He brings it to my mind. And my conscience knows what's right and what's wrong. What I should do and what I shouldn't do. Where I should go and what I shouldn't go. What I should listen to and what I ought not to listen to. I listened to a preacher one night. Do you know what he spoke on? Gossiping ears. You know what gossiping ears are? Those that listen to gossip. Women said to him at the end of the service, what do you mean by gossiping ears? He said, well, you're not listening. (laughs) But you're not listening. Those that listen to gossip. And you know, I know so many churches that have been crippled by gossip. 
tongue. James talks about this further over. I won't be going into that tonight. But James talks about that further over. This tongue, the smallest member of the body, is a fiery dart. Cuts people in two. Destroys lives. That same tongue which does these things can be used also for the glory of God. In the manifestation of every grace that God wants to pour into you. And shine through you in the glory of his son himself. How? By the power of the spirit. Oh I'm glad that my temple is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what makes a surrendered life an effective witness for our Lord and Master. If the Spirit of God is not at work within you, your life will never be an effective witness for Him in any shape or form. The next aspect I want to look at is the focus on prayer and how that impacts our surrendered life. We've just read James 1 and 5. If any of you will ask wisdom, let him ask of God. Asking God means prayer. I cannot stress it strongly enough. It's the greatest and best authority in the matter of prayer was our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. And how often do we make it so difficult for ourselves? Why? Because we won't ask. We don't come to God in prayer. Do you remember when Jesus prayed in John 17? He went to the cross and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. He's a perfect example of prayer. That is, the hour that had come was the appointed time for his sufferings and death. He was just ready to die. The fulfillment of all the prophecy about his sufferings and death. The fulfillment of all that was agreed between the Father and him. Prior to coming to earth. From the beginning of eternity. This defines precisely what was meant by these words, Father, the hour has come. He knew. There were times in the word of God, through the Gospels, you will read it, mine hour has not yet come. But when we come to John 17, his hour had come. And he says, glorify your son. What was Jesus asking from the Father? Honor me. That's what he was asking. Give the world a demonstration that I am your son. Sustain me and so make known your power in my death, resurrection and ascension. And thereby show to the world that I am the son of God. That's what Jesus was praying for. Don't by his father supporting him and strengthening him. Under all the sorrows and sufferings of his approaching death. Would he triumph in all that lay ahead. And he did triumph. He would conquer all his people's enemies. And his own enemies. He would conquer sin and Satan. He would obtain eternal redemption and salvation for those who would trust him. He would rise from the dead the third day. This is what Jesus was asking of the Father when he prayed, Father, glorify your Son. It was no ordinary prayer that. What kind of prayers do you pray? Do you feel the Spirit of God rising within you to pray? In this prayer there was a sense of agony. Do you agonize with God in prayer? He felt emotional pain. Now is my soul troubled, said the Lord Jesus. There was a sense of urgency here. This was his last moments to pray before he would go to the cross. Do you pray like this when you're passing through that trial? When you know there are difficult days ahead for you? I wonder how the Christians in America and the surrounding districts that are affected by this terrible storm are praying. Jeremiah, in the dark and difficult day that he was in, he spoke the words of the Lord, Call upon me! Call upon me! And I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. And saints of God, I want to say to you tonight, you can do no greater thing than to come to God in prayer, whether it be in private prayer or in corporate prayer in the church. And I want to say to you, I hope, Graham, your prayer meetings in here are something really, really worthwhile. And that the saints of God in this church are coming together to pray, because that's when things will begin to happen. C.H. Spurgeon was taking a group of people around his church one day. They wanted to see it. And a man said to him, he says, can you tell me, he says, what's the power in your preaching? and he took him down into the basement and he quietly opened up this room door 
He says, have a look through there. And there were 200 men on their knees calling upon God to minister to C.H. Spurgeon, that he would minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, if it were not for these men praying, he says, I would not be able to be what God wants me to be. And you get people coming along here to preach the word of God, get together to pray. If you've got servants going out from here to preach the word of God, whatever's happening on Friday night, pray about that. Get before God and call upon Him. We're looking for revival in the land. We're looking for the fire of God to fall in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're looking for men and women to be swept into the kingdom of God. We want to see revival in the midst of God's people. Come to pray. And God will honor his word for those who will come and pray. The faithful prayers of righteous men and women availeth much before the throne of God. What a prayer this was. But what a saviour and what a God we have. Who heard the prayer and answered the prayer of his son to the fullest extent. Paul writing to the church at Corn said this there is no temptation or trial taken you but such is common to man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above you are able but with the temptation or trial also will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it that's important not just to take you out of it but to bear it there will come a point when it will come to an end But God wants to be in that with you so that you might be able to bear it. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when they were in the fiery furnace there was a fourth person in that furnace with them helping them, supporting them strengthening them, saving them and delivering them from that fiery furnace. It was a Christophany it was a a person of the Lord himself that appeared in that fire with them. They refused to bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar and God delivered them. And you know what the Bible says? Not a hair of their head was singed. Isn't that wonderful? We have a wonderful God. Do you know the problem with us? We don't trust Him enough. If God can do things like that, deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, and so many other miracles, taking the children across the Red Sea, across the Jordan, uh, delivering them out of all the difficulties that they were in and taking them into the promised land. If God can do that, how much is he more able to do for you and I the things that we are going through to support us, to strengthen us, and to deliver us and to bear us up in his hands as we go through the fiery furnace of our trials. It's interesting to note that you and I can expect temptations and trials. Paul doesn't say God will completely remove them from us but that he will make a way of escape so that we can bear it. He's made a wonderful way for us, hasn't he? When Jesus died on that cross, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. Here's a wonderful way, the way of prayer. He's given us direct access into his presence. No longer through a man, through a high priest, interceding for the sins of the people once a year. But you and I have direct access into the presence of the living God. Saints of God, it's it's of paramount importance that we bring everything to God in prayer. There's such sound doctrine in the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. Isn't there? Remember the words? This, this of course, hymn was written by Joseph Scriven, a man acquainted with grief. And I was reading a story about him the other night. Born in the county down Ireland, he aspired as a young man to follow his father's footsteps as a royal marine. But his poor health made that impossible. They fell in love and was engaged to be married but his fiancée drowned before their wedding could take place to put as much distance as possible between himself and that tragedy Scriven then moved to Canada while living there he became engaged again but his fiancée became ill and died before they could marry in his grief Scriven was determined to devote himself to a life of service he received word ultimately that his mother was ill he couldn't afford to return to Ireland so he sent his mother a poem in the hope that he would comfort her these words on that poem were what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear what a privilege to carry 
everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Verse 2 says, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. My dear friends, let me encourage you to come to God in prayer. For it's there you will discover the treasures of unlimited grace. As we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of life's victorious battles are fought and won on the drill ground of prayer. The last aspect I want to share with you is about faith. And I'll do this very quickly because I'm conscious of time. James says, but he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. What is faith? Well, faith is possibly the single most important aspect of the Christian life. Hebrews 11 and 6 says this, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For him that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith then is essential to pleasing God. We need faith first to come to God, to believe that God exists and to trust in him for our salvation. How then do we receive this faith? God is the source of faith. We can't take any credit for our own faith. Because it begins, our faith that we have begins and ends with God himself. Hebrews 12, he is the author and finisher of faith. Luke 17 and 5, the apostles said to the Lord, Lord will you increase our faith? Have you ever considered that as a prayer? (laughs) Wonderful. Lord, increase my faith. Help me to step out of the boat onto the water. Increase my faith. Well, we must consider also how we grow and increase our faith to the extent that we surrender to him daily through the exercise of faith. The kind of faith which offers promise, the promise of a dynamic and rewarding walk with God. How is your walk with God? Is it dynamic? Is it rewarding? Do you find it rewarding to walk with God every day of your life? How then do we grow and increase our faith? Let me just mention very briefly four things. First of all, by coming to the throne of grace in prayer, completely dependent on the blood of Christ. Some people today want to shut out the blood of Christ. Blot it out completely. They want to experience a bloodless gospel. And they will. And they'll be dead in their transgressions and their sins for all eternity. For it required the blood of Christ to atone for all of our sins. Hebrews 10. The writer there says, Therefore, brothers, we have confidence. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It cost the Lord everything to grant us unhindered access into his presence. And yet there are times when we're so stubborn or we're lost in what we're doing or we're distracted by something else that we don't come into the presence of God as often as we ought to. And that's the work of Satan. He knows the power of the Holy Spirit that will work within you in a very mighty way. And he will do everything to distract you from experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life by coming to God in prayer. Oh, I want us to consider something else. To be in our guard against everything that will deaden or damp your zeal or your faith in the Lord Jesus. Let me just mention three things. Carnal company. What's carnal company? People that have a profession of faith but will do anything but talk about their Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. 
because he's no reality in their life of him. Sandy mentioned it this morning, I'll mention it again. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. If we're in Christ, we're a new creation. You can't remain unchanged. Remember the woman at the well? Come see a man that told me all things ever I did. What was her testimony? It's not this the Christ. What did Jesus say? Whosoever drinks of the water that I give him. Out of his innermost being. That word innermost. The Greek word for it is koilia. It means the deepest most recesses of your being. Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That's what God wants you to experience. He wants you to experience the fullness of the spirit at work in your life. What else should we avoid? Following the way of the world. We touched on that last week. I'm not going to go into it in details. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. The pride of life. Spiritual lethargy. This is when we lose our first love. I spoke about it earlier. The zeal has gone from our lives. And the Lord describes such people as neither hot nor cold. I'll spew you out of my mouth. You're so sick fed up to the back teeth. There's a great Scottish saying. Of this church... Laodicea once they were in fire now they're dead and dying because they're neither hot nor cold they're comfortable they're couch potatoes they're quite happy to come along to the church sit down, enjoy the praise and worship and go away again without having any effective witness in their lives I want to say to you tonight if you're not involved in any of the ministries of the church come before God and ask God to show you what you can do. And then come to the leaders of the church and say, listen, I want to get involved in the service of the church for the Lord. And I tell you, I'd be surprised, Graham, if they didn't say, yeah, absolutely wonderful. This is the power of God at work. Come on, let's waken ourselves up. Lethargy, spiritual lethargy. Awake thou that sleepest, the rise from the dead in Christ shall give you life. Filthy and foolish conversation. Avoid it. I've given you an illustration of that already. Peter says, seeing then, 2 Peter 3 and 11, seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness? All of these things tend to sap the foundation of your faith and destroy your dependence upon God. And fourth, I'm going to give you a wee gold nugget here. Here's what I would like you to do. Become more acquainted with the promises of God and his word. Read the Psalms and experience the wonderful promises that flow from this part of God's word. Psalm 1, the righteous shall prosper. Psalm 9, the oppressed shall find righteous refuge in the Lord rather. Psalm 37, God will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 55, the Lord will sustain you and strengthen you. Psalm 103, the Lord will pour out his mercy upon those that fear him. Psalm 133, the Lord will command his blessing upon those of you who are united. Don't allow division to come into your church. Don't allow division to come into your marriage or your home or your life. When you look at the New Testament church and the unity that existed upon them, with them, through them, by them, it was evident that God was working in Holy Ghost power. And the unity of the body of Christ is one of the key cornerstones to the church being powerful. And it's witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we journey along the Christian pathway, we should be continually surrendering our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging his lordship, trusting in his sovereign power, enduring and persevering in the difficult times, seeking the Lord for wisdom and every Christian grace so that we lack in nothing. Pray. Pray, pray, and keep on praying. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. And lastly, keep faith with God. Grow in grace. Increase in faith. Grow in love. Trust in the blood of Christ. One day, 
Our salvation shall be complete when we see our Saviour face to face. What a wonderful day that's going to be. You're looking forward to it? I'm looking forward to it. The end is not yet, but there is coming a day when Christ will come to the air and take his waiting people home. That's going to be some day. I'm looking forward to it. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Wow! What an experience that's going to be. And we'll all be changed. Here's another change. What was the first change that took place? When we yielded our lives to Jesus Christ. What's the next change and the last change that's going to take place? When we're given a body likened unto his own glorious body. What can we say? Say it with me. Hallelujah. What a wonderful saviour. Let me finish with this. Marcus Aurelius Antoninus Augustus, who was often referred to as the wise, was emperor of the Roman Empire from 161 to his death in 180. One of his quotes was this. Please remember this. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Let me repeat it. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Only by surrendering our lives completely to our Lord and Master Jesus Christ shall we come to know the fullness of that unspeakable joy and blessing that comes to us in every circumstance of life from the throne room of God. I pray tonight that God will fill you with himself, that you might glorify him in everything that you seek to do for him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight and we ask that your word will have found a resting place in our hearts. We pray that our lives will be changed by it. We pray, Lord, that as we seek to serve you, that we will honour you in everything that we do. We ask, Lord, for this church here, that there will be a harvest of souls as a result of its witness in the community. That prayer walk that's going on. The prayer meetings that go on in the church, Lord. Oh, we ask, Father, that that prayer will become a bolster for the witness that will go out into the community of the saving and keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Still all of our hearts. Still all of our hearts. That we might glorify your name as we seek to serve you and give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.